All right, welcome everybody to the Men Up podcast. My name is Christian Shabu. I'm George Black. And we are very excited. We have got a really jam-packed episode today focusing on the NBA and some really powerful stuff that's been happening this summer. And like every week, we are here to examine pop culture events or current day events that are happening and how they relate to manhood and masculinity so that we can really redefine by having an in-depth conversation and coming up with some new questions, redefine manhood and masculinity. And so that's what we're here to do with the Men Up podcast. So thank you for joining us here today. We love when y'all stay connected to us. So please like, share, rate the podcast. It helps us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people get connected. And also uh, see where we're at on the Apple podcast and also on themenup.com, Men Up's official website. Yes, we have an official website. We have an official website, and the official launch date is going to be September 21st, Friday, September 21st, so this month. It is online already, so you can check it out. Sort of a soft launch here right now, but it will officially launch the day before we have our next Men Up Leadership Team meeting. Shout out to Men Up Leadership Team meeting. So the the launch of the uh, website is actually the day after my mother's birthday. It's going to be a jam-packed September for Men Up. It's going to be good. This is good stuff. Great time. So please, please, please uh, connect. Look at the podcast. Look at the website. It's going to be good stuff happening in September. And you know, George, the last time we recorded the podcast was a day after we had our Men Up leadership team meeting in August, which officially launched our 2018-2019 season. It was a really exciting meeting. What, what did you get out of that meeting with, with our guys? I think the thing that I got out of that meeting the most was how excited they were for the work that they were being shown, that we were, being, we were doing on the back end, right? So they were excited about the podcast. They were excited about the website. They were excited about these partnerships that we're building uh, to help spread the, the, the work we're doing with Men Up. And if I'm being honest, I wasn't expecting them to be as excited as they were. Oh, they were bought in, man. It was They were upset that we hadn't put them on a podcast yet. You know? <laughs> I think they probably told everybody about these partnerships we got with the Community Foundation. Yeah, they, they were just on it. And it really made me feel their level of investment on a whole new level. When you have them working with you for a whole summit, you know they're invested. But when we have them excited around the table around something you didn't think they would get excited about, it's a whole new level. Yeah, it was a really funny moment. So as we were brainstorming with them, what are some things we want to do for 2018-19? The first idea that came out was, oh, we should have a podcast. <laughs> and you and I just looked at each other like, well, funny enough. First off. And then when we told them we had been doing a podcast... They were excited, but also there was a moment of looking at us, to your point, of like, wait, why haven't you had us on the podcast yet? What's that about? We need to be on tomorrow. First off, Puppy Breaks is coming. <laughs> we love y'all dearly. Y'all definitely going to be on the podcast. Do not beat us up. And by the way, shout out to them. You know, we haven't mentioned them by name yet as a leadership team. So I want to take a moment to, to shout out Matt and Matt and Dante and Everett, who couldn't be with us, but are still part of the team. Uh, and Jesus and Jalexis. Mm -hmm. This team of young men, uh, both young men that are still in school, yep. whether that's high school or college, but also some young men that are at a professional level, they are the power of, of this organization and really have been such a, a lighthouse for us, right? Where we might have an idea, 
as the co-founders, right? And then we put it out there and when they respond powerfully, like with the podcast, like, oh, we're, we're on the right track here. And, and we actually had them listen to the last episode before we released it to the, the world, right, right? right? We had them listen to it and the conversation that was coming up probably could have talked for two more hours with them. But it let us know that we're on the right path with this. Yeah, no, definitely. One of the things that I really appreciate about our leadership team is that they are young men who have been in our lives even before we started doing Men Up Work. So it's really powerful, really exciting to see them grow as it pertains to this work because we've already watched them grow in so many other ways, right? Um, but it's really cool to watch them grow as it pertains to this work and to hear their thoughts, their opinions, to see their dedication to this work uh, and to know that even as we persist, right, they're going to continue to be in our lives and be connected to powerful work that we feel confident about, that we feel is important. And it's so cool to just be able to invite them into that. So it's going to be big things for the Men Up 2018-2019 season. And what I'm really excited about, George, speaking of seasons, I'm excited for this year's NBA season. Now, I know that this isn't necessarily a topic near and dear to your heart. So I, I just want to, I'm going to preface this right now so Christian doesn't have to preface it anymore. Christian is a big sports fan, specifically when it comes to basketball. Plays basketball, loves basketball. Uh, but sports in general, he pretty much loves. I am not an athlete unless we are talking about esports. And so <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be leaning on Christian when it comes to the sports terminology this time around. Uh, yep, that's what's happening. I feel like this could be the education of George today when it comes to the NBA. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, yep, yep, and I'm going to learn some stuff. Typically in August, right around the middle of August time, when you think about sports media in general, it's typically a little bit of a lull. In the, in the season, right? It's that it's one of those few points uh, in our year where there's not a lot going on sports-wise. Usually there's like three or four leagues going on and there's like a certain competitive moment that's happening. And it, it's a little bit of a, of a lull, not a total lull, right? Like there are still sports happening, right? Still, still baseball's happening, still things like the Little League World Series, still things like the WNBA finals and playoffs, and so there's still things happening, but there's typically a lull. But what was interesting was a few weeks ago, ESPN did a five-part series on the state of mental health in the NBA. And that's where we're really gonna dive into today. Specifically, there's two articles that we are going to focus on from the five-part series. The first one, which the title of it is, The Courageous Fight to Fix the NBA's Mental Health Problem. And this article is really featured on Kevin Love, right? And how Kevin Love has sort of become uh, the unofficial spokesperson for mental health and for reforming the way we, we talk about and, and support mental health in the NBA, but, but more broadly, culturally here in the United States. And the second article is the future of mental health in the NBA, which focuses a bit more on, on Trey Young. One year ago was in college and now is gonna be transitioning into the NBA as a rookie and has a lot of expectations on him. Uh, and so there's some really interesting moments in that story as well that, that talk about like what the potential is for, for how this league that has been continuing to gain popularity can, can address mental health in a really powerful and equitable way. So the first article, which focuses on uh, Love's experience, uh, starts with McMullen getting Love's attention. Uh, have you ever, I shouted out, from the den of all-star media day madness, sought professional counseling? Suddenly, silence. The incessant chatter at surrounding podiums persisted, but in the vacuum of Kevin Love's space, 
Everyone stopped, turned, and waited. Luff fixed his eyes on me, hesitated ever so slightly, then straightened his broad shoulders and leaned into the microphone. Yes, he answered firmly. And so then we're off in this article, right? And it should be noted that at the time that McMullen is reflecting on this first time that she, she got Love's attention, he was being asked initially to reflect on some comments made by his teammate. And suddenly McMullen asks him this question around, have you ever sought counseling? And he says, yes, right? And, and this came at a time that earlier in the season, there had been questions around Kevin Love's ability to do his job as an NBA player. Right? And that all of these comments came about from, a, from ways in which he responded in two games sort of near each other at the time. Uh, one game in which he, he just left sort of unexpectedly. And then another game where he performed poorly, right, in the middle of the season. And there was a lot of media at the time focusing on what's going on with Kevin Love, what's going on with Kevin Love, all this sort of stuff. He admits to having counseling, right? And, and that is not something that athletes usually admit to. And so that's where this article takes off. And then throughout the rest of the article, uh, McMullen has several interviews that are one-on-one with Kevin Love. Even one right after this moment where in the in the height of all the excitement and fun that is NBA All-Star Weekend, they actually go to a space one-on-one and start really digging into this. And and so there are several times throughout the year. And and if you go on ESPN.com to check out uh, the five-part series, you'll see a video there that's actually, is pretty long. I think it's about a half hour long that is an interview, one of the interviews that McMullen conducted with Kevin Love around mental health and and around having challenges with mental health. One of the things that gets me in this, in this art, in these articles, in this conversation as a whole, is how rare mental mental illness is presented to be in, in NBA and in athletic spaces, right? But the things that Love said he was dealing with were super duper common stuff. It's not stuff that, right? right? So uh, uh, the article said that he acknowledged that he was dealing with family issues, having trouble sleeping, and feeling the weight of expectations regarding. Cleveland season, right? These are th- these are not out of bounds things that only athletes deal with, right? These these are things that people deal with, right? And and it just makes me wonder, right? Like how how many other people have been dealing with that in their life? Oh, and I and I can't talk about it, right? I'm not allowed to to say that that, that that's actually what's happening with me. That's why I left the game early. That's why I didn't do my best on the court and make as much points as uh, I was told I was supposed to. I, I was expected to, right? Because I'm also a person, <laughs> and outside of this 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 context, I also have other things in my life, and this context is stressful and, and can put a lot of pressure on people. Um, but those things aren't uncommon things. I think in any context, we can we can look back and see that we've all dealt with those things, right? So it's just a, a matter of being forward about it. That's a pretty normal experience, I'd say, for just about every adult person, right? The fact that there are moments in our life where, yeah, there are challenges in our family, right? There are also moments in our life where, for whatever reason, our health is not on where it needs to be. We're not on our health game, right? Whether our sleep is off or we're not eating well, there might be a lot of reasons why. But then also that the expectations of work, whatever our career is, whatever our profession is, 
all of that stuff comes together and we have to deal with the weight of that. Yeah. Right. And, and so the difference here is that for, for love, it's very much in the public eye. Right. But, but all of us, I'd say many of us experience that at some point in time in our life. Right. And, and the important thing to note too, is as the article goes on, love talks about how there's a history in his family of having challenges with mental health. Um, and, and he actually talks about with his dad a little bit, who was also an NBA player. Um, but also it's important to note that there are other players and executives within the league that although it's not official numbers, right, they estimate that up to about 40% of the players currently in the NBA have either had bouts of or continue to have persistent challenges with mental health, right? And those numbers aren't far off from what we report nationally when it comes to right. mental health. Um, which is like the numbers are typically around like 30, 35% of all adult people experience some sort of challenges with mental health, right? Those numbers are, are pretty on par with each other, right? So, so I think that there's a lot, it's easy to dismiss, right? Like, oh, well, this is an NBA player, so it's because of his extreme circumstances that he's dealing with mental health. But, but no, like there are a lot of parallels and there's a lot that we can gain from, from what's going on here when, as it relates to the myths that we create around manhood and how those are related to sports and and how that all manifests here yeah there's this this embedded concern from from men that's connected to our identity and masculinity around being able to provide being able to do it on our own being able to to be the source right the answer um uh one of the articles says uh, we can offer all the services in the world explains boston Celtics gm danny ainge but if they won't use them, we can't help them. Too many of these guys don't realize how badly they need help until it's too late. And how much of that is connected, right, to this idea that as men, to, to say you need help is a problem. To say you need help is to not be a man. It literally is juxtaposed to, like, a, it's, it's the antithesis of, of, of masculine identity as we identify in our society. So... While not justified, it's completely understandable that men are going around hiding all their sickness and hiding all their illness, right? And and acting like, oh, I'm fine, I'm good, it's all right, I'm, I'm, I'm straight. Uh, when in reality, uh, we're talking about athletes that are paid millions of dollars. The, the resources are there. The access is there. As we read through this story and the stories associated with it, and even with some understanding of a few athletes right now in the NBA that have been dealing with some challenges. Uh, so some of those athletes include uh, DeMar DeRozan, Trey Young, and Markel Fultz, right? If we look at those stories, all of these men ended up seeking some sort of support and some sort of help, right? But they didn't do it publicly, right? Even Love, who... All, I mean, Love indicates in his article, in the article, that he's still, you know, receiving support and and therapy or, or whatever he might be getting for services, that he's still doing that, right? And probably all of these guys here that we just mentioned are too, but they went about actually utilizing some of their resources, yeah. right? But it was actually the media's reaction to them and the fact that at the time, a lot of these guys were not talking about some of the challenges they were having, right? So, so a player like Markel Fultz, right, who was coming into the league this past season as the number one draft pick, right, which, which carries with it 
a lot of weight and a lot of opportunity, right? Had some challenges early on. And for the rest of the season, it was identified that, oh, well, he had the yips. There's something going on in your brain that's messing with the way you normally know how to play the game. Like you know how to play, all the stuff's there, just something's going on in your head. Right. Think about that for a second. The word, the yips, right? It's not even a real word. Like I, I don't even think if you go in the dictionary, there's something that identifies as yips, right? But, but culturally, within sports, and maybe it has more, more broad context, it's this idea, it, it sounds almost cartoonish, right? You've got something going on in your head that's stopping you from doing your job the way you know how to and have shown you know how to. Yep. And we're gonna call that the yips. My issue with that is that it's, reduct it's reductionistic, right? It's just like, oh, you have the yips. The yips is every single solitary thing that you could be going through, right? Without specificity, without context, without empathy. You just have the yips. You just have this thing that's stopping you from performing, right? And yeah, it just it it just makes me think. How are we not asking people? Why are we not asking people? Not just like, are you going through something, but why are you going through it? Like, what's that about? How can we help, right? And and when you're an athlete and and it's being presented across the nation. Right, that the issue is the yips. Right, the issue isn't your family issues at home. The issue isn't the fact that you know you may have a, a sick relative, or you know, or the fact that mental illness is a thing, is a real thing. It doesn't help the the person going through it. Um, but that story also, the story that's being told just isn't isn't helpful for people in general. Right, and and specifically, I'm talking about men. Right, who hear that, who love sports, who are then being the, the idea that they, they're not allowed to, to share their actual struggles is reinforced and stuff like that. What a lot of these guys, whether it's love or other, other people that have come forward in the past around challenges with mental health, why they don't bring it up from the very moment mm -hmm. is that it is used as a competitive advantage thing, mm. right? So yeah. if I'm your competitor in this thing and I know you've got some sort of challenge going on with your mental health, right? Or, or I know something that shows your vulnerability, I'm gonna attack that in our game, right? Because I'm just trying to maintain the competitive advantage. I'm trying to win this game, or we're trying to win this season, or we're trying to win the championship. And it's interesting, because at first it, it would sound like, oh, well, we don't see that in everyday life, right? But I think we do, right? And it just shows up as different things. I was actually having a conversation with some young people recently, right, that were expressing some challenges with mental health, right? And they talked about a reluctance to talk to whether it was their parents or talk to anybody else that would likely refer them to go get some counseling. Yeah. And the reason was because their thought was that, well, that will mess with me applying to college or will mess with if I want to get a job, right? Now, I ended up having a conversation with them that like, no, like you actually don't need to share that information, right? Yeah. Like you don't have to share your, your health records in that way uh, with a college or, or with a job in that way. And, and based on the Disabilities Act, you're not allowed to be discriminated against in any way, shape or form based on your health and that includes mental health in, in the workplace, right? And so we had to have those conversations, right? But that stigma is still there that like there's this thing I'm competing for. For them, it's college, right? Or for, or for many of us, it's, it's career, it's profession. 
that if this piece of weakness gets out, that might stop me from getting the thing I want, or that might stop me from living my life the way I want to, because it's a vulnerability and people know about it. In the, the Bill Simmons podcast that we listened to, we were thinking about this. Yo, shout out to Bill Simmons podcast and The Ringer. I listened to that podcast three times a week and listen to just about all the content in The Ringer. It's part of the reason why I like doing a podcast. So hopefully someday on this podcast we can get Bill Simmons and the whole fleet of people over there and Kevin Love and all sorts of other people. Markel Fultz, Trey Young, get all these people on the podcast. But as you were saying. Shout out to big things, speaking things into existence. Facts. You you heard it here first. We want y'all over here. Contact us or we'll contact you. We'll make it happen. Anytime y'all want to come on the pod, please. We will not pay for your airfare right now, but we will certainly buy you breakfast once you get here to New Haven. We will do that. We will do that. Well, on the Bill Simmons podcast, uh, one of the things that I noticed as we were as as they were talking about the the concept of mental health and uh, you know they, they they focus a lot on love experience, um, but certainly others. And um, there was this overarching aura of. I wonder how empathetic I'm allowed to be around this around this idea, right? As a fan, as a as a fan, right? Right. Um, or or actually, no, not even just as a fan. They were talking more like as a coach, mm. uh, as 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 uh, as a competitor, as a person who is competing against someone who has been open about their their mental illness, right? I wonder how empathetic I'm allowed to be, and what is the balance between my empathy towards this person and my responsibility as a teammate, as a as a competitor, as a person whose job it is to beat these people, right? Uh, titles on the line, and I also know this person is dealing with X, Y, and Z. I can use it to my advantage, like you were saying earlier, right? Talking about uh, Adam Morrison, right, which is uh, another athlete who... Came out of Gonzaga, uh, was again a top lottery pick, was supposed to do big things, and didn't end up doing big things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess there were some times where he had a hard time crying after some games uh, and got ate up for it, right? People ate him alive. And um, and on the podcast, they were talking about how it's difficult to have that be true and then also ask yourself, well, why is he going through that? What's that about? How can we help, right? Um, and the word that they used uh, is that the contrast, that balance, is discombobulating, right? It's discombobulated and have to think about all that. And, and, I, and I'm going to be honest with you. I pushed up, like, like part of me was like, mm, is it? Is it discombobulating? Why? Because my answer earlier in the podcast, one of the uh, men on the podcast stated something that he said, uh, empathy is never the wrong answer in these situations. Empathy, right? Shout out to Mark Titus who's on The Ringer, used to be a college athlete, and and now is a podcaster. But yeah, shout out to him for that. Right, so uh, he said empathy is never the wrong wrong answer, right, to to these issues, right? And it made me think about, well, then why why is it so hard? Why why is it so discombobulating, though? Why is it that we can't just say, no, actually, the answer is just be empathetic? That's not difficult. <laughs> That's not hard. And it makes me think that the reason why it's hard is because we're to be empathetic is to push up against the ideas of manhood and masculinity, uh, specifically in the athletic world, that, that, that we still are standing in, right? To show some type of grace for these situations. 
somehow diminishes their masculinity, their manhood, maybe diminishes mine. But in my head, I'm thinking that gotta, that has to be the only reason because empathy is never a bad answer for these situations, right? Like discombobulating to me states like the, the the situation is confusing, and in my head, if I'm being completely honest, it's a lot less confusing, right? The answer is prefer people, <laughs> like you know, like care for people, right? And maybe maybe I'm I'm simplifying it too much. I'd agree with you, and I think. The complexity comes in when we talk about a profession that at its core is around competition, right? The way you compete ultimately has implications on how much money you make, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and how successful you are. And again, although it is the NBA and we're talking about uh, sports figures who make millions upon millions upon millions, even those that are on the lower rings of, of how much they make are still making a whole hell of a lot of money, yeah. right? And so there's distance between what typically we all experience or certainly you and I experience, yeah. um, but there's still competitive advantage, right? Like I would, I would worry about if, if there was a moment where I really had to uh, acknowledge that I was having some, some problems with some mental health, what that would mean for my job. Yeah. and what that would mean for for how I retain that job. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that we don't have empathetic people that we work with every day and understanding people, but there's still, we live in a, in a country that very much has competition at its core, yeah. right? And that translates to sports, but that translates to, I'd say just about every profession. The Bill Simmons podcast made a thought, made a, a statement that, that stuck with me. Uh, Simmons said, sports is a meritocracy, right? And, and I mean, so much of what, what we experience in this country has a lot to do with merit, right? And, and you know, you, you, you earn it, you have to earn it, right? You have to perform. And, 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 and you're right. You're right that that's true. You're right that that's real. You can't take that away, especially because it's not just a game, it's also their job. And I'm not saying that that's right. Like, I disagree with that. And in fact, like, that's what I think we're in pursuit here mm -hmm, mm -hmm. around. And I think that the challenging thing as whether it's somebody who considers himself an athlete and loves basketball, but also somebody who's a fan, is that it makes sports be a more thoughtful experience yep. than it normally is, whether you're a competitor or a spectator, right? If, if I'm, if I'm going to be empathetic for my, for the opponent of whoever's team I am either a player for or a fan of, then I'm going to think twice about the way in which I, I use information that's vulnerable about them to get under their skin. I remember listening to the podcast and being like, this feels obvious. Why, why do I feel such pushback or confusion around what feels like an obvious answer? Right. And I'm, I'm coming from a whole perspective and a whole worldview, and that's, that's true. That's but I think true. you'd agree obvious doesn't mean it's easy. Right. I would. I would. Obvious and easy are two different things. Come on, come on, y'all. Take that. Take that. Yeah. Was that the gem? Was that the gem for today's episode? <laughs> that was Obvious does not mean easy. <laughs> Write that, get a tattoo somewhere. Obvious does not mean easy. That's it's true. I think we've started to uncover here a little bit about what are what are some next steps? Yeah. Questions we can ask ourselves, maybe steps we can take to addressing mental health, right? Mm -hmm. And and addressing it specifically as it relates to sports as it relates to men in sports and, and preconceived notions in the way that we operate around mental health. 
so that we're not just feeling like we need to deal with it on an individual level or feeling like if we do deal with our mental health, it means that we're soft or, or whatever those things mean, like all of those, all of those perceptions, right? And, and I wanted to actually get into this by, by telling a little bit of a story. Please. So I have played basketball since I was a little, little kid, right? It is, it is one of the things I am most passionate about. And so I played throughout high school, played all four years, had the same coach for all four years. So my coach was my JV coach, and then he moved up to, to varsity, uh, Coach Tom. And, and my senior year, like I think it is for, for many young people, was a really hard year, right? It's, it's a year that ultimately ends in big transition. Uh, it was a year that the first relationship that I had had, significant relationship, ended. And so there was a whole bunch of emotion around that. I didn't know how to deal with that. There was excitement around our basketball team. We had invested a lot of time and energy with each other over four years, but particularly over that summer, and we're really good. So there were expectations, expectations of me, expectations of our team. And on top of all of that, it was coming to the surface for me that after, after about four or five years of my dad being dead, that stuff was coming up. I, hadn't, I had never dealt with that stuff. I, I had pushed that stuff down or dealt with it on my own. And it was coming up and I didn't know how to deal with it. And so all of this culminated in a game in early December, it was our first game of the season. And our team was just playing like junk. We just weren't playing well. And I internalized a whole lot of that. Like I wasn't playing too great either, but like I took on a lot of that. I was getting really frustrated and that, that emotion, like all of the challenges I was having, which, which felt like mental health challenges, right? Like, I'm not going to say I was in a depression, but I do think that there were moments of being depressed, right? And, and certainly there were some, there was just like some challenges of like sifting through emotionally. And I lost it. I lost it on the court in the third quarter. Coach took me out because I was just, I was a loose cannon on the court. And when he took me out, I ended up taking my mouth guard out, throwing it into the stands, and it hit this little boy, and taking my jersey off and just throwing it into the stands and just like storming off. Mm-hmm. One of the moments I am forever ashamed of <laughs> as a person. Right. And as a result of that, there was pressure from my coach, right? to kick me off the team, you know, early on in the season. Uh, our athletic director, like, was pretty black and white for that person that, like, oh, that was a ridiculous thing to do. That, that young man should be punished, right? And I remember my coach, it was like a day or two after we had a practice, he called me early to practice, and he brought me into the trainer's room outside of the court and just sat me down, and I was prepared for him to just lay into me, just like, you know that you just messed up big time right and he'd never been that kind of person but like i expected it. it was like i knew that that was terrible what i did right and and all he led with was like so what's going on and i broke down i broke down crying and in that session of talking to him he did not scold me he did not put me down, he did not make me feel bad, although he did make it very clear that there was gonna be consequence, but he was still gonna stick up for me and say that like, no, I I want this young man on the team and here's his consequence, right? Um, 
but it was all about supporting me. It was all about creating a space of, of vulnerability and creating one where I could share and cry and break down. And yeah, like that was, I, I still think about that moment as being really pivotal for a lot of reasons. One, like that, that somebody else, particularly a man that I was really close to at this point, created that kind of space for me. Yeah. And two, that he pushed me to say like, there, there are some challenges that you're clearly dealing with and you've got to address those. Uh, and, and I'll be here for you. And you need to, you need to connect with some other people. You got to figure some stuff out. Like that was really big in like dealing with some stuff that, that I hadn't dealt with for a long time. I definitely know of experiences where, uh, my mentor, shout out to Pastor David Council, um, there were multiple times, multiple times, especially after my mother passed away, where he would pull me aside and his question, his, it wasn't even a question, he would always just say, um, just go, like, go, and I would just share all of the things, right? And I remember that happening multiple times, um, and it was never like super duper powerful advice or, you know, really well thought next steps. He didn't necessarily supply any of that, but what he supplied was this space for me to say, yep, I'm, I don't, I'm not all here. I don't have it all together. Um, and I really attribute my ability to do that now to him giving, not necessarily teaching me, but giving me the space to do it when I was like 13, 14, 15, right? As men in general, we need to always be creating spaces where one another can be vulnerable. Right, and certainly when it is clear there's a moment or it is sought after by by another man, like I need to get in some conversation, I need some support here from from somebody else in my life. Like we need to be ready for those spaces and, and to create those spaces, right? But for young men, particularly, right, and as we as we come back to this work in the NBA, one of the articles that's the one of the last articles is the future of mental health in the NBA, and it focuses on Trey Young, who is a young man who was drafted early on um, in this year's draft, and so he's a lottery pick, and he's got a lot of expectations on him. He's gonna be playing in Atlanta. And last year, as, as a young man playing for Oklahoma, for the school that he was playing for, started off great, started off really powerful, and then when he got a lot of immediate attention, he, his performance took a dip, right? And the minute that happened, the media was just on him, right? For for half the half the year, just on him about like, oh, we thought this kid was going to be the next Steph Curry, and like, really, he's not that good, and blah, blah blah, and like, just getting on him, right? And like, picking him apart. And so, in this article, what what's identified is that there is there's a sort of like a motivational speaker. Uh, almost, but a motivational sort of guru working with Young to really help him on the mental aspect of the game, right? And to be clear, Trey Young's in his like late teens, early twenties, right? So like, still at a really pivotal and, and formative year, right? And and so helping him to prepare for this next step for himself, which is the NBA, and like working on that mental game. And so that's that's I think a way that we can support each other as men is thinking about like whatever the next steps are that are happening in our lives. Like how how do we support the men in our lives in preparing for that mentally? Yeah, and I think what's really important is when we create those spaces, just being clear, yeah, we don't gotta be experts, right? We just don't we don't have to have training or you know have a background in X, Y, or Z. 
sometimes the best spaces are the spaces with this, there's just no expectation, you know? And, and I can imagine how the idea of expectation really builds on athletes, right? Especially professional athletes. You're on TV all the time. You, yeah, you, you were drafted because you did this and now you're expected to like replicate that if not improve on that. Um, yeah, the expectations are high. And so what's important um, is that there are spaces where that, there's no expectation. We don't need to be experts. And if someone needs expert Absolutely. support, I think this is the next step, which is actually understand what is your access to mental health care. So a lot of us, I mean, we know that as men typically in our country here that we are not good with our own health care, yep. right? And that's also in knowing what does our health care actually provide us, right? And so just finding out that information, understanding and having an awareness of, well, I have this healthcare, right? Or as a young person, you know, I, I have this healthcare, I have this access to clinicians or to support within my school, right? Or because I'm under my parents' insurance, if they have that, like it offers me this. Understanding what you have access to is a big step, right? Because if you don't understand what you have access to, then, then it never seems like a real option. Right. And so I would really advocate for everybody, but particularly for the for the young men and, and the men in general out there to at least get the knowledge on what does your insurance or what access do you have to to mental health professionals and to that care, because that can be a game changer. And then lastly, we got into this, which could be a whole other episode, maybe many episodes or, or, two. or two or three or maybe a whole year. Right. right. Was culturally, though, like we need to re-examine our fandom in sports really in everything because this can actually extend out to the political spectrum and, and and other areas too and that's yeah maybe, maybe this is a whole year we just focus on <laughs> fandom next year so often our fandom is void of empathy mm-hmm. and that is detrimental to us as as men that's detrimental to us as a society the fact that we no longer look at the people that we define as our opponents or our competitor or somebody that we are competing against as humans, as men and women, but as our opponent and as such we don't offer empathy is really problematic. And I think that there's an, a re-examination we need to do culturally, but even individually. Yeah. That whether it's the words we use when we're at a, at a sporting event to try to rattle the other players or the ways in which we just like ride or die for our team no matter what, right? There's a re-examination that needs to happen there if we're serious about redefining man and masculinity because they're so, in my mind, they're so interwoven. Yeah. As we think about empathy, I think also this goes back into this idea about meritocracy, right? This idea that um, you are what you've done, right? And so um, really thinking about what it looks like for us to, to separate profession from the person, right? And And... And just just realizing that we, while they inform each other, while they overlap, right? Who you are and what you do are not the same thing, right? Um, and and like, what does it look like for us to treat people as worthy of love, of help, of assistance, apart from their performance in a particular thing, right? Um, I think I think that's that, that's a bigger conversation, a much bigger conversation. Yeah. Well, this has been. 
a fantastic episode for me, George. I hope it has been for you. I got to talk about something I love dearly, two things I love dearly, mental health and and NBA and basketball and so and I got to talk about mental health which I love dearly and hear Christian talk about something that he loves to talk about <laughs> which, is, which is basketball that's how you know we're good friends <laughs> you feel love for the thing I love to talk about absolutely absolutely that's it's, a, it's a true thing that's a true friend yes absolutely well, folks, remember to check out the five-part series on ESPN.com by Jackie McMullen. Really powerful stuff. Also, with this podcast, please like, rate, and share, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or directly from the themenup.com website because we love y'all's support and we're trying to grow this thing into a movement. So please like, rate, and share. And until next week, this is the Men Up Podcast. I'm George Black. And I'm Christian Shabu. We appreciate y'all.